Hello and welcome to the first episode of Talking to the Experts with Aaron Proctor, the podcast where I have in-depth conversations with journalists from around the country, chatting about their experiences and how they do their jobs. This week I'm talking to BBC Scotland news presenter Fiona Stocker. She currently presents on BBC's Seven Days, The Nine and BBC Radio Scotland's Drive Time. Sit back, relax and enjoy the very first episode of Talking to the Experts. Hello and welcome to the first episode of Talking to the Experts uh, with me, Aaron Proctor. Today I am joined by BBC, uh, BBC Scotland news presenter Fiona Stalker. How are you, Fiona? I'm good and, and, and delightful to be part of this. It sounds like an exciting project, definitely. So I um, I'm, I don't think, I think it's the first time I've ever been called an expert, but I'm delighted oh. to be an expert <laughs> if that's what you want. Good. I'm more of an expert than I am. <laughs> I'm very glad to have you on as my very first guest. <laughs> we actually met each other for the first time back in 2016 doing wow. BBC School Report, was it? Yeah, I loved that project. And obviously this year, I'm not sure what the, the setup's going to be because of our, our new normal. Um, but it was, it, honestly, I've had some of the best fun ever as a journalist working on BBC School News Project. Um, can you remind me what you did? What, what kind of stories did you work on? I think I think it would have had to do with the um, EU referendum. Yeah, that would have been right. Because um, I think somebody time. also interviewed me and my classmate for drive time. Oh, brilliant. Good. Um, we got good use out of you then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and but you wanted to be a journalist then, didn't you? Oh, I, I don't think I was... I don't think it sparked that fully... I yeah. hadn't really thought about it back then, but I think it mm. definitely sparked something. Um, and there was a lot of interest. Because um, I remember we talked about podcasts then. I was like, oh, this is quite interesting. Yeah, so, I mean, they're massive. Full circle, full circle moment. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And also, I think during lockdown, I think, well, I've certainly listened to more podcasts during lockdown because I reckon I've probably done more um, walking. Um, and I stick podcasts in my ears if I'm maybe going for a run. And I think there's some really very good quality podcasts out there now. Yeah. Um, so I think podcasts are huge. Yeah, I mean they, they range from a lot of different things. It's yeah, a lot of, of thinker everyone. So you, how long have you been doing the BBC School Report? So I, gosh, I was. I think I was involved in the very first year it ever started, which was well over ten years ago. Um, and the first year we did it, we did it really big style. We did a whole day of broadcasting from the northeast of Scotland College. So we got okay. schools down to the northeast of Scotland College and did it, ran it like a proper news day. Um, and we we worked towards a programme at the end of the day. And we actually did live inserts from the college into Reporting Scotland, from what I remember at lunchtime. Right. We did a piece for Newsround and we did a piece into the news channel. So it was a really, really busy day. So we did, obviously, the school news report project, but it actually generated some content for our own output. Because um, I think it was a big thing at the BBC. You know, we were we were delighted to be involved. So it just gave it a, a nice focus. So, yeah, so we did the, the school news project with the pupils and also did stuff for our output. So it was great fun. Oh, I love that. Because I, I do think it's, it's quite a good opportunity for kids to actually realise um, what goes into like journalism. Because you never really get that in school. 
Yeah, well, and it's a sh- and that's a shame. And I, I mean, at school, I mean, I wanted to be a journalist since I was really young, and I started a school newspaper because they didn't have anything like that. Um, so they didn't have media courses. They didn't do, you know, I, I mean, I did modern studies. I suppose that was the closest you could kind of get to it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think now it's it's so much, you know, it's better. You can get involved in projects with people who actually work in the industry. And I think by that you can find out whether. You, whether you're going to like it or not. And I think that's quite important because some people, it's not for them and others, it's just, you know, that's it. It's a dream job. Yeah, definitely. Um, So, I mean, since then, since 2016, I'd say the media landscape has changed quite a lot as well as the um, political landscape as well. Um, What do you think about that? I I think it has. I mean, so I've, I've generally always worked in broadcasting um i think there's you know there's a lot more choice out there i think there's people i I do think that you know i like things i like listening to things like newscast bbc's on newscast that you can you know you've got the likes of adam fleming laura kunzberg um and also i like the listen things like americast that's got emily makeless and john sopel so I think there's, I think that's grown probably a lot since 2016. Where if you have a specific interest, you can go and you know you can find it a lot easier. Online news is massive, and I think then you know I think there's a lot of consumption of news on demand now. So I think it's a challenge for broadcasters to you know perhaps to get people to sit down at a certain time like they used to do. For example, you know families traditionally used to maybe sit down and watch the tea time news. I think people have such busy lives now and a lot of things are on demand, which I think things like BBC Sounds are good at. I, I listen to quite a lot of stuff back on yeah. BBC Sounds. Um, and I think, you know, you can go on to, um, you know, iPlayer and, 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 and pick and choose your news from them. You can you know, think things the American election. A lot of people had a look at what CNN were doing. So I think there's enormous choice out there, which I think is a good thing. Um and I think, but I think one of the things that is a challenge for journalists is, I think, is disinformation that's out there. And mm. The BBC has its own disinformation journalist called Mariana Spring, whose job literally is to, you know, investigate some of the falsehoods that are put out there by organisations that claim that they're news outlets. Um, for example, about the vaccination and you know, untruths about the vaccination. So I think there's challenges to having such choice out there. Um, but yeah, so I think people are probably consuming news in different ways now. So what are you doing um, with your shows to make sure people aren't aren't trying to get um, their news somewhere else, trying to stay on your shows? Uh, well, yeah. So uh, I mean, we've had some schedule changes. I think since twenty sixteen, I'm now doing drive time on a Friday. I do the Sunday show on a Sunday morning, which is politics, news, current affairs, seven days, which I think wasn't going into it no it wasn't it was starting 2018 um which is a kind of um catch up of the news events of the week and doing some good morning scott presenting so i think i think for me i think it's so important and i and i would describe in the last particularly last year as an absolute news tsunami i think we are getting so much information huge volumes of information and i think it is my job to explain it not to assume knowledge to explain what's happening and then to analyze it so you know i i would never assume because people have such busy lives again that that, that they they know every 
for example, every term for Brexit, or I think it's our job to almost do the heavy lifting for people um, and to speak in very human terms. It's not, you know, journalists should never, it should never be about showing off the journalist's own knowledge. We're just a platform from which, you know, we can bring in experts who can explain it more, add something to the story. And I think for me, the best way to do that is also to, to do it in, with human stories and human cases. So my job, I think, is, is storytelling, you know, yeah. is to let people have the voices. To, and, and also, also, always, I think, is, is, to, to, is to give people something that they don't know. You know, I like to find out stuff myself because I'm a journalist. You'll be the mm-hmm. same. You'll have, that, you'll have that appetite for knowledge. Um, so I think it's important that, that, that in the programs that I do, certainly, um, is you tell you tell people stuff they don't know. You sometimes surprise people. I think that the news is is fairly relentlessly and has been quite negative for a while. I think it's our you know I think it's down to us to, to show so to show stories of resilience. You know to to show that there are some positive stories going on and shine light on them. Um, and also, I'm a big fan of having you know of of having audience interaction. So, for example, we will have. Jason Leach on drive time at 10 past five sometimes, or Linda mm-hmm. Balds or John Swinney. And there are questions that our audience want to ask them. It's mm-hmm. my job to ask questions on behalf of the audience. I'm not asking questions for me. I'm asking questions on behalf of the audience. And I think that's a very, very important thing to remember. And it's to, you know, is it is, is a way of engaging people, I suppose, in, in what we do. Yeah, what I've noticed is that you've um, tweeted out um, every week um, mm. if the audience has any questions and what they would like to know and i think that's a really good way especially now with the the rise and everything being about social media it's a really good way to like have people yeah get in contact with politics and also like exactly yeah and direct access to politicians i mean it's and i've you know i've had mariana spring on quite a few times because there is a lot of there's a lot of fear over the pandemic. I mean, mm-hmm. for oh, giving you an example, I got into a taxi a couple of weeks ago, and I'd come from the BBC. So the taxi driver knew I was at the BBC. He asked what I did. I told him, and he said to me genuinely, "Why are you not asking them about the microchips and the vaccines?" And I said, "Well, I, you know, I, 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 you know, hand on heart, I speak to health experts pretty much every day." Um, I speak to those, I speak to immunologists, I speak to virologists, there isn't microchips in the vaccines. Mm. And he said to me, I've done my research, I've looked on YouTube, and, you know, I think that's what they're doing to us. And I think, you know, I'm very aware that there is some disinformation out there. So, you know, we bring in the experts, the ones that are working on the vaccines, the ones that are literally, you know, at the sharp end of it, at the front line of health and medicine and, and the vaccine being developed to answer questions like these, mm-hmm. you know, and, and to, factually to answer questions like these. These are the experts and these are the people that know that they're not microchips in the vaccines. Yeah. I mean, my mum's um, helping with the um, vaccination process up in Aberdeen. Oh, really? Um, oh, that's interesting. So she's for kind you. of like overseeing that. Um, wow. And she's not mentioned there being microchips in the vaccine. Funny at all. No, 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 no. But, but I mean, it, it's interesting. I think Mariana Spring did a really good panorama documentary about this where she took on people who were skeptical about it. And what she did was very simple. She just put them in front of, uh, I think it was an immunologist, and they asked questions. And by the, there was 10 of them. And by the time that they'd, they'd grilled this guy, they decided they were going to get vaccines. So it's a case of just making, you know, making that information available and, yeah. and answering questions that people have about the vaccine, uh, you know, and about and about other issues. 
Um, and then back to your other show, Seven Days. Mm-hmm. Um, I like in that one, in that show, that you just act as somebody to tell the news and then you get other people from different backgrounds and politicians yeah. to give their opinion on it. It's quite a smart idea. Yeah, and it's, it's been going for now for nearly two years. Um, and what we've done since the pandemic started is, again, we, we, we tend to have an expert at the top of the show. So, you know, the figures for the the, the coronavirus figures come out about two o'clock on a Sunday. Um, and it will always throw up um, questions that we have. So questions about international travel, questions about when, you know, we might be able to meet people indoors again, questions about care home deaths so it's answered by an expert and then you have people who can come from very different backgrounds um different political views different ethnic um groups um you know just a mix of people who can add something to it and bring their own kind of life experience to it um and you know so so we 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 keep the panels as diverse as we possibly can and usually, but but the debate is always respectful. Sometimes they will disagree entirely, absolutely fine. Sometimes they will interrupt each other, fine, in a respectful way. But at the end of the day, it's somewhere you can have discussion that, that doesn't get toxic, you know, that, that is respectful and civil. And I think there has to be that. Mm. Um, because I think some of the debate, particularly on social media, can get very disrespectful very quickly. So we've always said in seven days that it's somewhere that you can have very differing views but that's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, you can have that discussion and that's very healthy in a, in a society. Definitely. So, yeah. So, yeah, I, I loved, I absolutely loved doing seven days. And Nick and I have worked together um, right from the beginning now. So, and Laura McGee obviously comes in with the sports stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's a good mixture. And, you know, and there should be fun as well. There mm-hmm. should be some fun um, and entertainment as well, I think. I de- you definitely have a very good um, dynamic, you and um, Nick. We do have fun. Yeah. We do have fun. <laughs> we usually dance in the opening credits, but you don't see that. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> um, so you talked a little bit uh, a little minute ago uh, about growing up wanting to be a journalist. How mm. did you get into that properly? Mm. Well, I, I mean, literally I wanted to be a journalist since I was seven years old. Um, <laughs> and I remember um, I... Uh, my first memory was watching Kate Adie, who was the BBC's foreign correspondent okay. at that time, standing in the middle of a, a war zone somewhere. Um, and she was one of the few female reporters I'd seen out on the on the field. And it was just she was she was telling a story very calmly with such authority, and I was transfixed by it. And I thought, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a journalist. Never worked in a war zone, but <laughs> um, and I was lucky enough to interview her a few years ago. And she was, you know, and and it's like when you meet your heroes. She was as, you know, as fascinating as I thought she would be. Yeah. And one of the interesting things was she was, she had such an appetite for information. So when I was asking her, um, you know, I wanted to speak to her about her stories. And she just wanted to know stuff. She wanted to know about Scottish politics. She wanted to know about local politics. She had this, still that, that thirst for knowledge. So, yeah, so she was, she was, she was the reason I became a journalist. And I decided that the best thing to do would be to start, start a school newspaper, believe it or not. (laughs) And then the obvious thing to me was, well, and there weren't that many media courses at that time. So I went to study politics um, and psychology at Glasgow university. Um, and then I went to work in in local radio. I started at North Sound as a trainee journalist. Um, and that was when local commercial radio newsrooms were really well staffed. 
So um, there was about eight journalists there. I was the only woman among them, seven guys. Um, and I learned a huge amount. You know, they're really experienced journalists. Quite a lot of them had come from print journalism first and gone into broadcasting. Um, and then and then that was it. I worked for Reuters for a while. I worked for Reuters Radio. I was a Scotland correspondent for Reuters based in Edinburgh. Um, I worked at a station called Scott FM down in Edinburgh. Um, and I, I went back to North Sound as programme director, but I kind of took me away from the news more than I'd have loved. So yeah. I just, yeah, I went back into news. And then I joined the BBC in 2005. Um, and then it's just, I think the BBC's, I think if you are, I think if you come from commercial radio where um, obviously, you know, you're sometimes news is seen as an expenditure rather than something that uh, brings in resources i think when you join the bbc it's a bit like being a kid in a sweet shop to start with because you're working with all like mind people who just want to make good news programs mm. so that was fantastic um and i lectured in journalism for a while at robert gordon university okay. which was great working um, on a journalism course which was good they were bringing in people from industry um and then, yeah, and then I've been at the BBC, well, since then, um, working on various things, including BBC School News Report. Um, I had a programme on a Friday afternoon called Out for the Weekend, which was just an excuse for a lot of fun out and about, which was great. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, so basically, I'm, I'm really based down in Glasgow now. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's, so I was kind of 100% focused on, I'm going to be a journalist. It never once struck me that I wasn't going to be a journalist. Which kind of made things easier, yeah. you know, because I remember going at school um, and saying to the careers advisor, I'm going to be a journalist. But they didn't have any, I don't think they were used to that, so they didn't have any advice for me. So they said to me, I think, why don't you think about teaching or nursing? Um, and I said, well, no, I want to be a journalist. I was a bit confused by this, um, which, you know, two great professions, but I was like, no, no, I'm going to be a journalist. So I actually just had to go and kind of do my own research and try to do that so I wrote to all the newspapers locally I did you know work experience at the present journal I did work experience in various press offices at, at, at NHS Grampian I did work experience I just basically hoovered up everything I could in terms of experience to stick on my CV yeah. and, 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 and just you know I just wanted to write and do stuff and all the rest of it so uh, you know I had some great people and all these the these places that you know were willing to give me some of their uh, advice and and wisdom about how to do it so i was very lucky uh, that that's what happened and as i said on the school the bbc school news report i still cannot think of a job i would rather do in the whole world mm. so i'm very lucky yeah an amazing like you just were decided you wanted to be something and you stuck to that and i love that um yeah, and I, I think I, I think it must be more difficult for people who are wavering about what they want to do, um, you know. And I, I know for people who, you know, who, who do a, a general degree and then are not sure about which way they want to. Do. I've got no concept of that. Mm. Literally, I was seven, and I was like, "Oh, well, I'm yeah. just going to be a journalist. That's <laughs> it." You know, bought myself a little notepad, or my mum would have bought me a notepad, and I was like, "Well, yeah, I just write stories. That's what you do." Yeah. So, and I must say, at school they were really supportive of it. And I'm like, "Well, I just want to start. I want to start a school newspaper." Like, yeah, okay. Um, so you know they helped us with the printing and they gave us a room in the common room that we could use as like a newsroom and uh, I remember we got to interview Hugh and Cry that was one of the biggest uh, 
biggest interviews we did then, although they were quite good then. So we went down to HMV and interviewed Hugh and Cry, but um, the school, it was at Hazelhead Academy, were really good about it and very supportive about it. So I've had encouragement the whole way through. That's so good. Um, yeah, it's good. I'm lucky. Yeah. Uh, so you talked a wee bit there, um, saying you were the only woman um, mm. in North Sound out of yeah. however many. Yeah. Um, how have you, you, I'm guessing you were able to see the dramatic shift of the diversity. Do you think there's still an mm. uh, issue there? I think that, uh, to be honest, it's never really struck me. I mean, my um, there was a while at the BBC where um, the, BBC, the, the BBC controller was a female. The, head, the news editor of The Nine was a female. The editor of Report in Scotland was a female. The editor of the investigations unit was a female. So my, my mentor is is a female. She's heading down soon to, to run the whole of the national radio network in the UK. So I'm I it's never occurred to me that being a female in broadcasting would, would ever prevent me. So I you know, I've also had people like, you know, I've always admired people like Kate Ad, but um, people like Emily Makeless and uh, Emma Barnett. And I think there's for, for, for women going into the job there's an an awful lot of role models i think um so i'll be honest i think from from going in as you know late teens early 20s into a newsroom of of seven other guys mm-hmm. it's changed dramatically and of course i i don't you know i don't mind who i care with working guys or or, or women it's never an issue um and i think it's much better now. I think if you maybe speak to some of my colleagues who are older, and I remember there was a BBC journalist uh, called Jane Frankie. I don't know if you remember her at all. You've heard of her. She was an excellent journalist. Um, I remember she was very high profile during the Piper Alpha disaster. Um, I think that in her time, I think things were probably a bit different. And I doubt she probably worked for a female editor. I'm, no, I'm so used to working now with female editors just editors you know yeah. who happen to be female so uh, the bbc has a has a project as well called the 50 50 project right across the bbc where they want the content and the interviews they do to be 50 male 50 female so you know it's fairly explicit in our um i suppose in in, in our ambitions and vision that that we will have equal representation from from men and women on screen and i think that's very important you know, I think you have to be from the content that you're producing has to be representative of of the audience. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a bit, that's a big responsibility. Do you think it goes um, that policy goes far enough uh, when it comes to race? I think that's a very good question. I mean, I think that it's something that's very much on our mind. I mean, very much on our mind. Um, when we were recruiting, for example, for the election cafe, which is Nick and I presented it. Last year, I've done the election cafe for the last few elections. That was extremely important to us that we had the diversity right. I mean, in the Sunday show, um, we had so we've got what uh, there's a it's two hours, but in the Sunday show, um, I was very keen. I think it's an issue that that we should be reflecting was the uh, was the concerns about the uptake of the vaccine in the Black and Asian minority ethnic community. Um, so we did a we did a half hour on that, um, and I think on Friday I did a colleague of mine who is BAME, 
and he'd had COVID and he'd been speaking to me in the summer about his, his concerns about the BAME community being higher risk. But, but you know, I, I think it's something, what we shouldn't be asking on is, is BAME contributors just to talk about um, BAME issues, you know? So we, we shouldn't be just having a contributor on just to talk about Black Lives Matter. So, you know, they're, they're there as, they're there to talk about, you know, any any subject. So I think that that's, you know, very much in my mind. Um, and I, you know, so it, I think you could never say we can't do more, but I think it's an issue that the BBC certainly takes very seriously. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, and I've read um, a couple of articles about the frustration, um, not even with just within the... Um, BME um, community but also the trans yeah. community yeah. um where they just seem to be getting they only are included in these debates um and news stories if it is um based around their livelihoods and their um rights in that debate yeah, yeah exactly we've got um one of the guests we have on seven days who we've had on a lot uh, india willoughby um, who's trans, you know, she's on with us anyway. So she's there because she's an excellent commentator. She's actually an ex-journalist. She's an ex-sports journalist. And when there was a week that we discussed the trans issue, she happened to be on. But she then brings that that experience to it. But I mean, but definitely. that's 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 fine. That's right. But she's there anyway with us because mm-hmm. she's an excellent contributor. So the week dis- we discussed trans, then it was very useful to have her um, insight into it, if you like. Yeah, definitely. So going into your day-to-day life as a broadcast yeah. journalist, um, what do you do to prepare for stories and prepare for um, going live on TV? Hmm. So I do my homework. <laughs> I'm, I, I, to be honest, if I wasn't, if I wasn't a journalist, I'm, I'd be reading news anyway. I, I'm, okay. obs- I'm obsessed with news. I consume it anyway. Um, so I'm, you know... I, I'm interested in it anyway, but you know, when I know when we've got, for example, this week, um, two big things happening, there's a budget and there's Nicola Sturge's appearance at the, the sand inquiry. So those are two things that I will be making sure I'm completely across anyway. Mm. Um, but for example, for seven days, um, we would discuss, um, on Thursday, we have a meeting to discuss the subjects that we will discuss on Sunday. So that's when we're all involved. Nick and I are involved with the producer, the researcher, uh, one of the journalists on the team, and we'll discuss the big stories of the week, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know kind of in advance in terms of a weekly show what's happening. Drive time on a Friday is, is I guess, I suppose it's it's it can be reactive because we won't know what's happening, you know, till, till Friday sometimes. But there's also, I've always got, and I would always expect my colleagues to have stories up our sleeve. So I always go in with stories. Um, so, you know, earlier on today, I was lining up something it was just something, someone someone contacted me on Twitter because I've been talking about endometriosis again with a story that I think I'll pitch up. In the fact, I'm doing Good Morning Scotland on Friday. Um, but I'll, I'll do something on that on Friday. So I think as a journalist, you're always, always, your, your, your antennae, if you like, is always going. So I've always got stories that are kicking around. And also, it, it, you know, if you've done a story, I think it's, it's a good thing to follow up. So what you can do if you're doing something like drive time regularly is I go back in a few weeks or a few months to see what's happened. I think that's something the audience wants to know as well. Mm-hmm. If you cover a story, it's interesting to see how things have developed or yeah. are there new lines in it. So I think it's a it's a it's a mixture of being across the news anyway. Um, is you know is being across all news outlets. You know, 
um, or, or on a wide variety of outlet of outlets, um, and then we've got obviously researchers who will look at briefs, knowing knowing your guests very well, you know, knowing who they are, knowing the types of opinions they might have, knowing the subjects that they're good on, um, and so I, I think I suppose you're never really, and I don't want to be, you're never really that much off duty because. You're just interested in stuff that's mm. happening. You've got some would say nosy. I, I like to say curious, um, <laughs> but you've got that. I suppose that yeah, that that thirst for new information. I think um, that I see in, in you know among all my colleagues. So you would say it's a very twenty um, four hour commitment kind of job. Yeah, but, as but it never feels a chore. But yeah. never a chore. It always, it's always, uh, you know, it's always a joy. It's it's always fascinating, mm. and. You know, I think it's just knowing how, how on the lookout for things that will interest people. So even in Aberdeen last week, I was going to get my coffee from a shop that we're at a lot. And the woman that was serving had been saying how she's noticed a difference in people's moods and attitudes over lockdown and how people were getting a lot grumpy with her. They were getting less compliant. I think that's quite interesting. Mm. So I went back the next day. I recorded on my phone and off the back of it. I took in a psychologist to talk about, well, you know, these are the reasons that this is happening in a much bigger scale. And here's some coping strategies. And here's some of the reasons why people are less compliant. Um, you know, here's the reasons why people are letting their guards down. This is the effect that lockdown, lockdown having on people mental health wise. So I think even just being out and about, you can just pick up things you think, actually, you know, if I'm interested in this, this might be interesting for other people to hear. And it might just be something as simple as that, doing a four minute piece with, you know, someone who's, you know, is on furlough and is worried about being going to work or someone who's struggling doing homeschooling, because I think the chances are, if, if you hear that, they're, they're not the only ones, you know, their story will resonate yeah. with, with lots of people. And then, you know, you can move into the the audience uh, engagement. So, you know, if, if this person's noticing that people's moods have gone down and people are getting grumpy, you can put a, a shout out saying, listen, how are you feeling during lockdown? Do you notice your moods lower? What are you doing to help it? You know? Is it exercise? Are you drinking more? So you can kind of get that conversation going. And I think I think radio is a very good medium for that because I think people have a much more one-to-one relationship with radio. Definitely. And I like that. Yeah, because, I mean, if anybody's in a car, you're putting the radio on. Yeah. And it does it seem a lot very... Intimate. Yeah, and you've got nothing else. Well, I mean, I the one issue I sometimes find with radio is that you have it on in the background... Yeah, a lot yeah. of the time. So I feel it's, sometimes it's not as direct as, mm. say, the TV. Yeah, um, and I think, and that's interesting because I think you should be able to have radio in the background and it shouldn't be a chore to have it in, on in the background. Yeah. So you can have that chat in the background and not, you know, it not it's not grating on you. So I think radio is, our lives are busy. You know, I've, I've normally got some sort of radio in the background, but I, I find that quite comforting. I quite like that. Yeah. Um. And TV has that huge impact. You're in. You're literally in someone's living room, yeah. talking to them, and I think that's a huge impact. So I think they could be quite different mediums, which is nice. It's nice to work in both of them because I think they're quite different. Do you prefer one? Okay, that's a very good question. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna nail my colours to the mast here, right? <laughs> I would say if you cut me down the middle, I would bleed radio. Okay. Um, so yeah, I think I, I I will always have a soft spot for radio. Um, is that, is that you also can go in your pajamas. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, you can always go in your pajamas <laughs> and um, not not have to put three layers of makeup on. But I yeah I, I I like the intimacy of radio, 
and I think TV is is an absolute privilege to work in, but radio is a much more immediate medium. Mm. So you can just literally go on and broadcast. Yeah. Um, TV, there's a lot, um, a lot of setup time, and I think it's got a massive impact. But radio, to me, is a very intimate, intimate medium that is so fast, and I like that. I like the pace. Yeah, I'd have to go. I do. I I like the radio too. I've got, I just got a yeah. show on um, the uni's um, radio oh, That's network, brilliant. Um, where I just play musicals and chat about musicals. Oh my um, god, that's amazing! What's your favorite musical? Oh, that's a hard one. Um, you got to you got to choose one musical. I know. I, I, oh, it's like between um, West Side Story or Rent. Um, oh, I, I would. I'm not a massive musical fan. I like Wicked. I thought Wicked was amazing. Yeah, and I like Hairspray. Both very good. Both very good musicals. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Well, that sounds a lot of fun. That sounds yeah. a lot of fun. I mean, the thing is, with you, is just get experience. Just do it. Just get used to yeah. used to chatting. Yeah, definitely. Um, how do you know um, the best story to present to your news editor um, or research and so find? So I think that comes with experience i think that um and i do think i think people have got that i tend to think people have got that sense or they don't i think you can spot a story or you don't i i i do think that i think if you've got that um you've got it in you is and it's difficult to describe you just like i mean my friends or partner will just say and my mum used to say, my God, you've just gone, your, your ears have literally pricked up. I can actually physically see them prick up. That you hear something, you think, that's a story. Mm-hmm. So it's, I guess it's something that, that piques your interest, but something that, you know, that a story that, that needs to be told, that you want other people to hear, that's not necessarily being told. And I also think it's important to tell stories to give people who don't necessarily have a voice a voice. So to tell stories that you have the the platform to be able to do that and i think there's people that that i think you that's whose stories you want to tell that wouldn't necessarily be able to tell a story i it's just a it's almost like a, i don't know it's it's just a sense that that's going to be an interesting story so then your mind starts thinking about right how can i illustrate this story so what are the best pictures i can get of the stories for television for radio who's going to be the strongest most powerful voice i can get on this Who's going to be the opposing voice I can get on this? Um, for radio, what kind of sounds am I going to need? For telly, it might be what kind of archive can I do to, to, to use on this? So, for example, at the beginning of lockdown, um, I am, uh, I'm probably way too, too old for it, but I don't care at all. I'm missing nightclubbing like mad. I'm missing clubbing. Oh, so I did too. a piece. <laughs> well, yeah, you're probably allowed to, though. You probably get in. I probably get refused. So I did a piece about how nightclubs were going to um, survive under lockdown. So obviously we were slightly challenged because we were beginning to have to socially distance. So I did a piece with the sub club in Glasgow and the tunnels in Aberdeen. But the great thing about the sub club was, I was like, we're going to get some fantastic archive because they've got a huge amount of archive. So I was like, right, okay, so we can kick off with some archive so we can show the club really busy and then we can show the club empty. I can get um, Graham Park, the DJ, involved because he used to DJ there a lot. Um, We can then film at a different location. So for me, working for... Uh, a news provider that's Scottish wide is you need to be careful about representing the whole geographical area. So I'll do a club in Aberdeen, I'll do a club in Glasgow. And then 
and then you'd need to talk to the people obviously that would be you know that would be using it people well, people like you rather than me but like people who are missing clubbing so you go to a vox pop a clubber so then you see the whole thing in your head just coming together so you can see how you can do a slightly different treatment for radio and you can do a different treatment for television but the ingredients are similar so you have fabulous pictures you've got um, you've got some great sound that you can use. So we used, I just used the soundtrack of some of the archive stuff at the sub club um, for the radio pack. And that to me, it just came together. So there's my ideas. Mm. I mean, literally in a kind of in a paragraph, here's how I'm going to treat the story. I always come up, so I always write the top line for the story as well. So how would I, you know, what is the story? Literally you tell it in two lines. Um, and I think the top line was something like, um, Scotland's nightclubs may not be able to open until uh, you know clubbers get a vaccine passport, something like fear, you know, something like that. Boom, and then you the ingredients, who you're going to interview, and and the treatment you'll give it. Then all, then you come up with the online piece, and then you've got a social piece. So now you're you're literally doing a story for online TV, radio, social. So how I would do it is you would kick off the story in Good Morning Scotland. You'd then do a treatment for Reporting Scotland. You do a longer piece for the nine, so four minutes maybe with a guest at the back of it. So you're thinking of lots of different treatments of your story to just kind of, just to, I suppose, to bring it alive to people, you know, to, to make them interested in it. So why, you know, why should they be interested in it? Well, here's why. Yeah. So, yeah. So I guess that's the process I would go through. Extensive. <laughs> yeah, but, but, yeah, but fun. And, and, and once you do it, you, you it just becomes natural. Yeah. You just find yourself thinking, oh, that's quite interesting. What do I speak to about that? Okay, so if I add another voice, that would be quite interesting. And so I'm going to go back and do a follow-up on the nightclubs piece okay. about vaccine passports. Um, yeah, so then I'm thinking, right, I can go back and revisit that. I can bring that in. So I think it just becomes a very natural process. Um, and, and you get, you know, with experience, you get an idea of what's going to work and what's not going to work. Yeah. And which you know, what treatments you can do for different outlets. So the nine, for example, the demographic of the nine is slightly younger than you would have for a reporting Scotland audience. So you probably could use a bit more of the sub club. Um, you know, you could put some nice effects into it and actually make quite a funky piece. And I had a, a, a young cameraman who came with me and he was having a ball. So we worked on that together, but he got some, you know, some brilliant footage and we got lots of glittery disco balls and we had real fun with it so um so you can do that depending i think on the outlet that, you, that, that you're doing it for yeah um how do you best advise to hone in on that skill and to develop that skill i think it's i always i always bounce off people so i always will speak to people about the idea um, the one that usually gets it's my partner who'll just I'll suddenly just go right here's a here's a here's a thing what do you think yeah. blah, blah, blah. and then colleagues I'll say right I'm thinking about this what do you reckon so I always speak to people about it and when I'm I always still do when I'm writing stuff I always always read it out loud um, because else otherwise it doesn't make you know who says it's going to make sense so I always always read it out loud um, but I just bounce it off people and I think it's something that does come with experience. I think if you've got that, um, if you if you have that kind of, if you know what's going to make a story, I think just developing it is it comes with experience. But also at the BBC, there are so many people who will help you do that. Mm. You know, there there are senior people who will help you do that. Our job is literally to work with you to come up with a story. And sometimes, you know, the story is maybe not 
it's further than a news piece. It can become, you can pitch for a half hour documentary on it. You know, maybe it, there, there's there's so much to be said about this story, it will develop from there, you know, so maybe there's a half hour in it. So I think it's just, it's a process and it's a process I do think that comes with experience, but a process that comes with working with other people. It's never, it's never an isolated process, I would say. Okay, yeah, very interesting. Um, so I'm assuming um, you do a lot of interviewing mm. or some yeah. interviewing. What yeah, has been your best interview out of all of them? That's such a good question. Um, I'm trying to think. So one of my, and, and this is just because I, he's a huge hero of mine, David Attenborough was, was incredible. Just he, he was such a joy to interview. Um, the other person who will honestly I will remember for the rest of my life um, was a, um, a, a chap called Ziggy Shipper, who was an Auschwitz survivor. He's 92, he's still alive. I interviewed him before I went to Auschwitz, and it was just, it was incredible to be able to ask questions of someone who was in Auschwitz when he was eight years old. And he was so understated, and he was so forgiving, and it was just uh, it was just a privilege and that's when you do think god i i am i am so privileged to do this but do you know something most of the time you just come away from into it's it's ordinary people who've done something extraordinary um people who have just gone and lots of people have during the pandemic people have just gone that extra mile and you know and stories of kindness and things like that and just stories of People have done some incredible things, and, and I get to ask them about it. And I always think that that's 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 amazing, and it never fails to to thrill me. To be honest, I've never lost that thrill of speaking to people. And and, and obviously, she was my hero. So interviewing Kate Adey was was just a, was a huge thrill. Um, but I just think you know, pretty much every day, I'm like, I can't believe I'm still doing that. You know, it's it's just. It's fun. Sometimes it's really sad because you speak to people who are having in the midst of some really, really hard times. But you you find that people want to tell their story a lot of the time. Um, and I think that, that that's some of the most powerful stuff you get is someone who's been through something very traumatic. And there is a reason that they want to tell you the story. It could be perhaps that they don't want you know, some of the things that happen to other people or, and I think that that's sometimes, and sometimes by telling their story, they can make changes, whether that's the legislation um, or, or, or similar things. And I think, you know, that, I think that's important journalism when you can do that, when you can actually, actually make a difference um, in people's lives. And I think that's very, I think that's, that's very humbling, I think. Yeah, I definitely have to agree. Um, and especially that way, um, you get to um, connect with the people who are actually watching it. Um, yeah, these people yeah, you're interviewing definitely. are more relatable to those people. Um, yeah, and I, I stay in contact. I stay in contact with so many people that I've interviewed um, over the years, and I stayed. I, I lost someone very close to, to sepsis, and I've done a lot of stories on sepsis, and I'm still in contact with a lot of people because they. You know, they, they put faith in me to, to tell a story that, that was very, very painful. A mother who lost her baby to sepsis who wanted to tell a story that other families didn't go through that. And I'm still in contact with her and I've done follow-ups with her because, you know, I, I, I don't know. It's just, I, I spoke to 
someone who was a role model for me. I mentioned her before, Jane Frankie, who was who'd been you know decades at the BBC. Um, and I remember saying to her, I got I got her in sometimes to speak to some some of the younger journalists, and I always got her in to speak to female journalists because she was a role model for me. And I said to her, just what what just one piece of advice, what is it? And she said to me, never stop caring, always care about the stories you do. And I've never forgotten that bit of advice. Um, so I'm in contact with a lot of people I've interviewed over the years, um, and uh, a woman you know that I've actually become friends with who lost their daughter to suicide at the Tabernacle University has campaigned tirelessly and made some incredible changes about the way mental health and young people is dealt with in campuses around not just Scotland but the UK. And she's an incredibly strong woman. And I first met her at the court case where her daughter's boyfriend was being tried for assault and and I've kept in contact with her and I've done a lot of pieces with her about suicide prevention and it's honestly meeting people like that it's just it's just it's you know it's incredible I I am always amazed at the strength that people have and you know and, and the changes that she has made by by telling her story it's definitely one of the the very many perks of the job yeah for sure um, yeah and so on the flip side of that yeah have you had any really bad interviews? Um, I had one. I'm not going. I'm not going to give his name actually. Yeah, he okay. was an actor. He was an actor, and I was really at the start of my career. And I was. Oh, like, it's always the actor. A young, yeah, young <laughs> and I was such a huge fan of this guy, and I was a massive fan of the series he was in. And I went down to interview him, and he was so incredibly rude. And I've never forgotten that. And he's been a lot of stuff since I have never forgotten that. But honestly, 99.9% of people are are a joy to work with. And I, I interviewed Ali Lennox a few years ago. And I was actually really nervous because I was a big fan of hers. I was a huge fan of her music. She's from Aberdeen, obviously, yeah. as you know. Um, and she'd been up doing the Who Do You Think I Am series in Aberdeen. But she's curating her own exhibition in Aberdeen Art Gallery. So I'm like, right pitching for this one this is going to yeah. be mine so we got hold of her and i was told by her uh person that i couldn't ask her about you in terrace gardens that i was getting four minutes with her and i you know blah blah, blah. um so i went in to speak to her and i said oh yeah and i was i was quite nervous i don't get nervous anymore and um, i was like you know miss lennox really nice to meet you she's like oh no no call me annie um and she was an absolute delight mm. absolute delight so I honestly think that, I mean, I've had some nightmares about various pronunciations um, uh, on and off, and, and it's the ones that people always always remember. So I've had some pronunciation things, but you just learn, do you know the thing is you just learn to keep speaking, especially if in radio. If you make mistakes, you just keep talking. Yeah. Nine times out of ten, people don't, um, people don't pick up on it. So... <laughs> Yes, but but it's 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 been pretty good experiences. I mean, we've had you know you have lines dropping out, you have guests not turning up. Um, I remember the first ever out the weekend program I did, which was a two-hour speech program on a Friday afternoon, um, and it's the first one we did. We hadn't quite worked out timings. I literally, at the end of the program, before coming up to the four o'clock news, had a guest in the studio who was talking to me about how to entertain kids during this, the summer holidays. She had a bunch of twigs with her, and that was it. And I actually spoke about twigs for eight minutes. And do you know what? I think if I can speak about eight twigs for eight minutes, I'll be fine. If I lose yeah. a guest, I'll be fine. I can speak. I can keep speaking. Yeah. So, 
there are ways to get around it but yeah i think if you work in radio you just realize that you just keep speaking you don't swear and you keep speaking and i think if you remember that you'll be fine yeah was, my next question was going to be um how do you deal with a bad interviewee yeah well you 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 wave your hands at the producer most of the time and i think <laughs> I, I don't know i think there's probably bad questions i'm not convinced that there's that many bad interviewees i think it's down to your questions mm. and i think as well there you get people who are very nervous very nervous but that's down to us to make them not nervous and to try and get them to chat to you. And I always, I gen, you generally, I would say not always, but you usually get a chance to have a chat with them before they come on air sometimes. So I will say to them, you know, just listen, this is a chat. Okay, this is a chat. Um, treat it as a, as a conversation. Obviously, you know, if you're talking to politicians, you have a different relationship and it's an interview and you're holding people to account. But... Most of the time, if people are reassured, then, you know, then you can continue. Um, but, you know, I think we've all we've all got, you know, we, we've kind of got the easiest job with presenters. You've got a backup team, a producer, a researcher um, who and they're you they're usually pretty good at quickly getting someone else on the line <laughs> if we're running out of things to say. Um, but, you know, we've got that, you know, so you can talk about you've usually got texts or tweets coming in you can read out or. But honestly, I think if you. You know, if you're asking the right questions and you've done your homework, you can usually keep people speaking and keep that conversation going, I think. And that, I think, is something that comes with experience as well, I would say. Yeah. Um, so talking to politicians, um, do you sometimes um, have to keep yourself um, from blurting out something that you totally disagree with? Um, like what that person has said um, and how do you remain unbiased in that way? You have to. I mean, it's like, you know, it's it, I suppose it's enshrined as a journalist and, you know, particularly working with the BBC, it's just never and would never be an mm. option. So you're there. You're there to ask the questions on behalf of the audience. You are there to hold public figures to account. And, and to me, that's very straightforward. You know, to me that's what I do and that's my job and, and and if I had an issue with that I wouldn't be at the BBC so I think there is just yeah I have no issues with that at all it's just you know whatever the issue is my views are not important all I need to do is to get the answers and an explanation out of the politician and, and, and I'm there to ask questions on behalf of the audience because I have the access to the politician mm. so for me it's quite clear-cut and then back to that, um, you talked about doing the General Election Cafe in 2019. Yeah. And yeah. with the next election, the Scottish election coming yeah. up, um, have you got any tips um, for how to cover an election? Yeah, I mean, I would say a lot of coffee and a lot of Haribos is how I <laughs> tend to get through it and sleep the day before. But yes, I've got it honed down to a fine art now. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, if we're gearing up to what, it's something like nine weeks now, isn't it, to the, to yeah. the election? And, and, and I'm not quite, we haven't finalised our coverage yet because, of course, it's going to be very different because of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, but again, it's homework, homework, homework. It's always about the homework. Um, and it's about you know keeping across what's happening in the night. We do a huge amount of rehearsals, obviously, before um, before an election. We look at all the potential scenarios. We rehearse for all the scenarios. Um, but you're again, you're there. You've got the experts with you. You've, you've got the you know you've got the the pollsters. Um, you've got other political journalists. You've got spin doctors. You've got former politicians. You've got you know so you have people that you go to for expert opinion. So you're really there to almost link it all together. Or and we've got our, you know, we've got Glenn Campbell, our political editor, 
So we have our own political correspondence to add to that mix. So I think again, it's 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 homework, and it's 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 knowing the issues, it's knowing it's knowing the politicians, it's it's being up to date with a trend of the of the recent polls. It's all of that, and my producer always tries to limit my caffeine uptake by about two o'clock in the morning when I'm slightly <laughs> going slightly hysterical. But I, the only thing I do always bring with me is a packet parables. And I've got to say, as the BBC, other sweets are available. Yeah. Usually, usually Haribo's and an awful lot of coffee and, and water. Yeah. Uh, we yeah. actually covered the 2019 election as well um, oh, wow. with Radio Energy. I was up in Aberdeen. Wow, um, brilliant. In Aberdeen count. Um, and I think that was like one oh, of the last... Brilliant experience. Yeah, it was great. Uh, it was one of the last counts to come in, actually. So I was there till like 5am. Um, <laughs> so it was oh, rough. but it's amazing it's brilliant yeah um it's great and i i, I love it I, I love an election yeah a lot oh, of people so think it's i love it i love it um are you have you got any idea what this upcoming election is going to be have you got any plans for it because um reports have said that it's going to be over a day of counting yeah, I, th- I think it will be. I mean, it's potentially two days, isn't it? So, yeah, I, yeah, I think, I mean, we had to adapt, you know, programs like Seven Days. We had to get people, um, you know, remotely um, to add their expertise. So it may be in terms of that, we, we look at that, you know, it might not be that there's so much resources overnight because mm-hmm. we don't know when the results are actually be known. But I don't think that means that we can't cover it comprehensively. So it might be that we just have to adapt to, you know, there's no reason you couldn't perhaps have uh, some of the experts, some of your your posters, some of your political journalists on Zoom, on FaceTime, um, and you do something like a, a kind of a rolling election cafe. But um, I think there's certainly going to be um, chats over the next wee while as to how we do that. But yeah, because it's, you know, it, it's still our responsibility as a public service broadcaster to keep people informed, certainly. Um, so I think we're just going to have to, <laughs> we'll have to be creative. And I yeah. think organizations are doing that broadcasters are doing that we've got no choice we have to do that so people are getting used to also seeing interviewees in their bedroom or in their living room or in their car so i think that people have now become used to a new normal in terms of the broadcasting we do um and uh, you know uh, so we'll we'll adapt we'll we'll certainly adapt watch the space (laughs) and finally um what is your advice for somebody who wants to um, try and get into broadcast? Um, how do you get your foot in the door in the first place? Good question. So I think you're doing the right thing. And I think, first of all, you're doing exactly what you're meant to do. I, I would say that's a brilliant start. Absolutely, 100%. And um, I know the BBC has apprenticeship schemes. Um, I work with my, one of my producers in Drive Time came through the BBC apprenticeship scheme. Um, one of the journalists taken on recently in Aberdeen, came through the BBC Apprenticeship Scheme. Always look out for them. Um, And I think they're brilliant. Um, I know um, a friend of mine who worked in Aberdeen initially came through the BBC Apprenticeship Scheme, has gone on to work for, he worked for Panorama and the Victoria Derbyshire Show. So I think it's a great way to get your foot in the door. There's always opportunities. And, you know, you're putting together your own content just now. That's brilliant. You know, we've got people contributors freelancers working for the bbc social for example um so you know make it your if you're a journalist you can find out who for example um does commissions for podcasts or who runs the apprenticeship scheme that's that's you being a journalist 
So use your journalistic skills and get hold of these people and, you know, stick in a couple of examples of podcasts you're doing. Let them know what you're doing. Ask to come in. Well, obviously, at the moment, it's difficult to shadow, but it's not always going to be like that, you know. So contact the people to have a chat with. Find out where the opportunities are. You know, local radio. I I thought commercial radio is a fantastic place to start. Absolutely brilliant place to start. Hospital radio, community radio. Um, But I think, you know, use your journalistic skills. Show that you have that um, tenacity to, to find out the people that might be able to open up opportunities for you. But I think you're doing exactly the right thing. Exactly the right thing. Amazing. Thank really. you. Really <laughs> That's no, great, really. advice. great advice. Great <laughs> advice. Um, uh, do you know about um, any other um, BBC um, incentives and stuff that they have to get people into becoming journalism? Is it just the Apprentice Programme? There's a bit, yeah. I mean, there's there's various Apprentices. I don't know there's a production one. I think there's the, the journalism one. Um, I, there, there's, certainly there's a couple. Um, I think they're, they also, they, they tweet them out every so often. They do, they I've seen stuff that I tend to retweet as well. And there's opportunities. I think we have a vacancies page. So just always keep an eye on that. Yeah. Always keep an eye on that. Um, but yeah, and um yeah, I, so I think, you know, use use that tenacity and foresight that you're using at the moment, and I think you'll do well. Okay, thanks. Thanks for that great advice. Not at all. Um, and um, thank you for coming on to the first episode. Do you know, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, so tweet it out when it's ready, and I'll start retweeting it. But, um, thank you very much. It was a joy to speak to you, and honestly, I hope you can get from my enthusiasm that it's I get a thrill out of it still every day. Yeah. And I don't think I'm, that there's many people can say that about their jobs. So I feel incredibly lucky, incredibly lucky. And, you know, it's we are working through an unprecedented news time at the moment. And it's almost like, you know, literally, if you're talking about this, you're talking, this is history that we're yeah. talking about. And it's, uh, you know, it's a privilege to be involved. And it's a delight to have been uh, on your programme. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the very first episode of my podcast. Uh, I absolutely love talking to Fiona, and I think she gave some great insight into broadcast journalism and everything in between. I thought she was a great inspiration to everybody. Um, and I'd like to thank her once again. Huge big thank you to her for coming on and to this first episode. If you'd like to keep up to date with Fiona, you can find her on Twitter at Fiona S. Stalker. And if you want to keep up with me on, on any of the social medias, it is at Aaron Proctor. That's A-R-R-A-N-P-R-O-C-T-O-R. That's on every social media. And hopefully I'll be back very soon with another episode. We'll be interviewing another journalist from the journalism sphere. That could be from sports journalism to arts to feature writing. I'm going to try cover everything. I'm going to try to get an expert from every single sector. So I really hope you're going to stay tuned um, to these episodes um, because they're going to be a lot of fun. So thanks for listening, guys, and goodbye.